Welcome to Between Sets. On this episode, we talk all things weightlifting with 2018 Commonwealth Games gold medalist Emily Godley. We hope you enjoy it. G'day all and welcome to another episode of Between Sets. My name's Simon and as always, I'm here with Daz. How are you feeling, mate? I'm feeling great, buddy. How are you feeling? Oh, the same, you know. Yeah. No, nothing changes for me, so I don't know. You take that how you want, but I am excited about our guest today. Uh, she's a three-time Commonwealth Games representative, if, I, if I'm correct there, and uh, more importantly, she is the uh, 2018 gold medalist in the 75-kilogram class. Emily Godley, congratulations and welcome to Between Sets. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'd love having you. Oh, I just love having you around. Great person. But uh, for those who don't know too much about you, the accent's probably given it away that you're not an Australian. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so obviously I represent England. Um, I have I have had the uh, the finger pointed at me a couple of times over here, to be fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> so moved over to uh, Melbourne last July with my other half, Joe. Um mainly because he was offered a job in the railway industry and we thought, why not? Like, might as well just give it a go. And, yeah, here we are, still here, almost yeah. a year later, um, really enjoying it. And, yeah, it's been great. So, obviously, I've done all my training for weightlifting um, at Hawthorne Weightlifting Club. Great club. Um, great club. <laughs> You're not biased. Um yeah, so um, leading into Com Games, most of my preparation was done here, um, and you know, great atmosphere, great teammates. It's just, yeah, it's been an amazing experience so far, and loving life to be honest. It beats the English weather, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. What's um, what's what's the journey been like so far? So obviously, this is third games. What was uh. Well, we had Delhi, Glasgow, and Gold Coast. What was your run like into all of them? And well, actually, where did the you know weightlifting sort of uh, dream start? Um, so, weightlifting dream started right back when I used to do athletics. Um, I was a pole vaulter when I was about sixteen, seventeen. The king of sports. Was That's epic. Yeah, yeah, I just wasn't king enough to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen I've seen that sport, man. It's psycho. Yeah. Oh, you do like you think weightlifters are nutters, right? You have to have like a, a definite screw loose to be a top pole vaulter. Yeah. It's, it's a different world. Um, yeah, so I, I did that, and I had to do some weights as part of my strength and conditioning. Um, so I had a specific weights coach for that, and that was Keith Morgan, based at Crystal Palace Weightlifting Club. Um, and he was like, "Oh, you should, you know, you should change sports." And I said, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> and it was kind of a bit of to and froing, and um, you know the usual, usual conversations. And I, I did a weightlifting competition for his club just to get some points. Um, and I remember doing the comp, and Keith said to me, "Look, if you if you did change sports, I think you could go to the Commonwealth Games." And I said, "Oh, you know that's a different that's a different uh, situation that." And yeah. I thought I thought about it a little bit more and decided just to give it a go and change sports. Um, yeah. And then within about eighteen months, I, you know, was basically in the running to be selected for the the Delhi twenty ten team. Um, 
just managed to scrape in in terms of the selection total, which looking back, you look at the different selection totals like eight years ago compared to now. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. Um, yeah, so just made the team for that and uh, got to Delhi. And I think Delhi was a little bit of a different experience anyway. Most people that um, that went to that games would tell you the same, I think, because we were all kept within the village and you couldn't really explore outside. And it was kind of on lockdown a little bit, I think, just because like, there was lots of terrorism type threats and, and stuff going on in the media. Um, for me personally, it was my first international. So as oh, you wow. can imagine, yeah, I was, I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then got struck by the infamous Delhi belly as well, which didn't <laughs> my case much. Um, yeah. I had a bit of a shocker to be honest. Um, yeah, I was like a deer in headlights on that stage and, it just all went a bit pear-shaped and I missed all three snatches exactly oh, wow. the same. Didn't even throw one behind. They're all in front. Um, just had a right mare. <laughs> and it was yeah. at the time, at the time it was pretty devastating. You know, first, first international, first com games. My mum and dad had traveled all the way to India to come and watch me. Oh, wow. Missed every single lift. So guilt. yeah, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> bad. It was pretty bad. Uh, how much? How much did you think that sort of impacted you? Like, well, not having any international experience under your belt before heading straight to the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, it definitely didn't help. To be honest, um, I mean, you can do all the competitions you like at home, local competitions, national competitions, even, but nothing prepares you for um, being on a stage in front of like all those people in the crowd. And having cameras shoved in your face, like it's just a whole different ball game, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and even when you think about um, like European Championships, World Championships later on, they're you know they they do give you experience, but the crowds for Commonwealth Games is just so different. Like World Championships, us British lifters, I'm sure it's the same for the Aussies as well. You're in a C group, so you've got about two yeah. audience. Yeah, exactly. And usually those two people were just your teammates. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, it was it was a bit of a it was definitely a big experience for me. Um, but having said that, I wouldn't change it for the world because you know it, it definitely fueled the fire to continue and not ever do that again. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take to to um, process that that games for you? Uh, a good, a good few months, I'd say. Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty upsetting because I just felt like a bit of a failure. Um, and yeah, just bombing out just sucks, doesn't it really? And mm. to do that at that big, like the biggest competition of my career so far, um, was definitely a big, big upset for me. So, but it was a case of just, you know, I knew I was at the start of my career. I knew there was a future there and I knew that if I tried to take what I could from it and, and learn from it um, and just kind of go back to the drawing board with it, um, I knew I'd be all right. So it was just, it's just in the, when you're in the moment, yeah. it just, you feel like everything's just crumbling around you. Yeah, yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you ring up your pole, vault, pole vaulting coach? Take me back. I'm, um, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm quitting. I'm yeah. coming back. Yeah. No, yeah. I didn't actually. And that's saying something. Yeah. 
you did turn it around and had another solid four-year training block and then um, straight into Glasgow. What was the differences between your first run-in and this one? Obviously, a little bit more experience under your belt. Yeah, a little more experience, definitely. Um, I think by that time, I'd, I'd done a few more major competitions, um, like Europeans. and uh, My first World Championships was in 2013 in Poland as well. So, um, yeah, having having had more experience definitely helped. Um, I mean, I was... I definitely was more was more confident in my own performance um, and I wasn't panicking about how I'd be on the stage because I'd already experienced that as well. Um, so for me, it was more a case of just trying to get a good solid block of preparation in um, my coach, Keith. Um, and yeah, I think I was moving house at the time as well. So it was all, all kind of happening and I'd just... Uh, just finished um, my degree like a year or so before that. So I knew that I could just spend some time and dedicate a bit more time to training and, and um, just getting ready in the best way possible. So leading into that, um, it was obviously almost like a home games for Team England. Um, yeah. So we knew that the atmosphere would be great. Um, it was at the time when we could still have more than one lifter per weight class yeah. as well. So it was myself and... Sarah Davies in the 63 kilo class. Um, yeah, to be honest, I wasn't, I didn't place too much pressure on myself and I knew I could do well. Um, so I just wanted to go and do the best I could do. And um, I remember being in the warm up area and feeling pretty good. Um, I remember missing a snatch on 90 kilos, just missing it. And that was a bit frustrating, but um I had a good couple of snatches and, and felt great with that. And then clean and jerks. Um, I remember I got a slap from my coach. That sticks out <laughs> in my mind. Sometimes weightlifters just need a slap to wake them, wake them up. Um, so, or just yeah. for no reason. Yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I remember being, I think one of my attempts was a bit sluggish. And uh, so Keith gave me a slap and I went out and nailed my third attempt. So, but I, I definitely enjoyed the experience a lot more. Um, it was a great competition. It was, you know, run really well. It was good to to be competitive and up there with some of the other girls. Um, yeah, but then I guess after that competition was when things changed a little bit more for me. And you kind of think, oh, if I only I'd done that a bit earlier and things like that. But hindsight, you know, I'd yeah. still, I still had a great time and um, it definitely set me up for, for future years. I finished yeah. fifth there, yeah, fifth. Yeah. All right, then we uh, have another four-year training block. Yeah. And arguably we go through the most changes that you're going to go through in sort of weightlifting and sort of administration of weightlifting. Um, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't really done my homework on this, but British weightlifting funding starts yeah. going out the door. You're moving up a couple body weight categories. Yeah. You're moving countries. Yeah. New new qualification system. And that, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair bit of uncertainty where everyone's going to land in sort of positions. Yeah. But you um, finally ma you make it to the games. <laughs> yes. So, um, after well, we were still funded um, during Glasgow 2014. Yep. So UK Sport funded us up until Rio, basically. 
Um, and then that's when we got cut because, you know, based on the results of Rio and things like that. So, um, so we have, we did have a good few years of funding and it did, it did help massively. I think it was more the support with the, the medical support and things like that, that we had, you know, if you hurt something quick, go and get a scan the same day kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, I trained, I actually changed coaches, um, at the end of 2014, start of 2015. Um, and so that was a massive change for me. I changed from Keith Morgan to Andy Callard, um, who, who's the coach at Europa. And it was also because Joe and I moved house. It was also our, our new local club as well. So it kind of made yeah. sense anyway. Um, yeah, so, um, got a good solid bit of training in for that and, um, Tried to stick with the 63s for another couple of years, which probably shouldn't have done because I definitely outgrew that category. Um, as you guys know, the more you do weightlifting, the more muscle you, you tend to get and yeah. it's harder to lose that body fat. Yeah. You hold yeah. on to your life. <laughs> and, uh, making weight just becomes more and more miserable, to be honest. <laughs> um yeah, so I decided to move up to the 69 kilo class. Um, had a shot at Rio, but wasn't the best female lifter at the time. So I ended up being reserved for that. Um, and then, yeah, so 2017, decided to move out to Melbourne with Joe. Yep. So it was all change again. Um, but by that point, in terms of the weightlifting training, I knew I'd been doing it for a while. Um, so nine years of weightlifting and you know I knew that I could crack on with my own training and and not worry too much about having a coach by my side and there every second so Andy is quite a hands-off coach anyway he's not there in the gym nine till five of you every day Mm. every session so he kind of just gives you your program you crack on with it and then you'll see him maybe once once or twice a week anyway Um, so leading into Gold Coast it was a case of me just getting on with my training and just reporting back to him sending a few videos um having phone calls here and there and just getting a bit of feedback from from just communicating with him basically which was absolutely fine um obviously got Joe to come and train with me a couple of times which was great having a training yeah. part um yeah so leading into Gold Coast I had a couple of injuries which wasn't ideal um I had a well, back in start of 2017, I had a stress fracture in my spine. And then later on in the year, I had a label tear in my hip as well, which wasn't great. And uh, the qualifying system was a bit, was new to everyone. So everyone was a bit worried about whether or not they were going to get picked and things like that. So I just made sure before I left the UK that I got a ranking uh, in more than one weight class just to kind of increase my chances of, of being selected. So did a competition. I did Europeans at 69 when I was just coming back from the injury. And then I did the British Championships at 75 kilos as well. Um, and luckily, after the qualifying period had ended, I I did get selected and I got selected at 75. Um, and weighing 67 kilos at the time, I knew I had to get my <laughs> the food, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was a bit of a struggle, you know, just trying to force feed every day. But it paid off in the end. You know, it was a great competition and, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, so let's um, 
let's get to the big moment. <laughs> um, what was it like being in the village first off? What was going through your, your mind up until uh, the moment you stepped into the warm-up room and then talk us through that, uh, that amazing competition? So the, the village was great. You know, the uh, Aussies put on a great competition and, and set up for us. It was perfect. Best, probably the best comedies I've been to so far, definitely. Um, yeah, great atmosphere in the village. The training hall was, was good as well. Um, training was going really, really well for me. I was, you know, I was reunited with my coach as well, which was great. Um, and all my teammates I haven't seen for like around a year. Um, so I knew I was in good shape because of the way my lifts were going, you know, my, my legs were strong. That was the most noticeable thing for me, extra body weight and, and the squats meant that I felt strong. And I knew if I felt strong on the day, then I'd have a good chance. Um, leading into the competition, uh, I knew that I was capable of getting a medal. Obviously with the new qualification system you can kind of see where you're at compared to everyone else yeah so I knew I had a good chance um but I I there wasn't any pressure really for me in terms of winning winning the event I mean I knew I had a Canadian strong Canadian in my group who's done some seriously big numbers before so Mm. you know it was just a case of I know I can get a medal I've just got to go in and lift the weights and do it um Yeah. So on the day, uh, I had to wait quite a while because I was on in the evening and uh, made sure I went down to the food hall a couple of times and (laughs) had some had some uh, got the calories in and uh, got to the venue and just did all the usual stuff, weighed in and and tried to chill out as much as I could. But I was definitely feeling the nerves a little bit at that point. Um, Yeah. Adrenaline was was going and I knew I just in terms of nerves I knew I just needed to try and control them because it is very daunting standing out there in front of everyone even if you have done it a few times just knowing who's in the audience and people back home are sending you messages of support things like that you know you know you're uh, you're being watched by a fair fair few thousand um so for me it was a case of um the coaches kind of picking the weights and doing all the tactics and strategic type stuff and I just wanted to go and do the lifting because if I if I'm in a comp environment and I start thinking about what I've got to do to do this and beat her and all this then it just kind of ends up you know getting a bit too mental if that makes sense yeah so leave that to just did the coaches discuss with you that they that they wanted to um, get you a gold medal, put you in a gold medal position? Was that discussed before you competed? The discussion was around getting a medal. A medal. So they would do everything they could in terms of picking the numbers to get me on the podium. And then, obviously, as the competition progressed, it changed to getting me on the top of the podium and yeah. getting that gold. So, um, but... And I said to Andy specifically, I said, don't, I don't want to know about what I have to do and who's leading by X amount or whatever. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I just want to keep my head down and, and crack on with it. Yeah. And it worked. It did work well. Um, I mean, because lots of athletes thrive upon knowing they have, what they have to do to beat someone and, and things like that. But 
like I said, it's too much thinking for me. I don't really want that in a competition environment. Um, and I think that's an important thing between athletes and coaches, just telling them what exactly you need and what you want and what you don't want. So, yep. yeah, that worked. Um, so, first of all, warming up felt great. Snatches were, were lovely and, and feeling um, pretty powerful. Then go to a zip my suit up, ready for the stage. <laughs> The zip breaks, which isn't ideal. So um, just to add to the drama and the nerves, uh, my coach was like, oh, we have a problem. And I was like, <laughs> anyway, so suit's like wide open and it's all going a bit pear-shaped. So I was like, right, well, can we get some safety pins? Because obviously you have to wear those numbers on the side of your leg and they were pinning those on. So I was like, well, there must be safety pins. So I had to do a quick quick fix and safety pin up the back of my suit which wasn't ideal but luckily I'd taken a second uh, lifting suit with me which I never ever do so I must have known in the back of my mind that something like that would happen um but yeah it was quite funny at the time um went out did did uh, I actually opened quite light for for what I was expecting to be honest uh, opened on 91 kilos but again I think the coaches just wanted me to get one in because there were only maybe two to three of us left in the, in the snatch competition. So they were like, let's get one in and go from there. Um, so I went 91, which felt good. Um, then I went 94, which felt a bit rough, if I'm honest. It felt a bit, you know, short pull and everything. Um, then we went 96 and uh, my coach was like, you're really going to have to put some effort in on this one if you want to get it. So I did and then three out of three snatches, you know, you always feel great going into clean and jerks uh, after you've got all three. So um, used the break just to go and put my new suit on and <laughs> change my knee wraps and do all that stuff. So that was lucky, really, that we had that time. Um, clean and jerks, again, my legs felt strong and it was it was a different experience, really, to one I've had before when I've had to make weight. I mean, definitely made weight at 63 before and, and lost my legs with it. Um so, yeah, I was feeling good and the coaches were like, let's go 119, get a good solid clean and jerk in. I think, yeah, heaviest clean and jerk I've opened on. But, you know, I'd done it in training a few times leading up to the game. So I knew it was a doable weight and I knew it was comfortable. Um, so 119, got that, then jumped five kilos for 124, um, which was felt like a great lift as well. It just all felt right, you know, when everything just, it just works and it's feeling good and, you know, you don't feel like it's much of a struggle. It, it just felt good. Um, so I knew whatever I needed on that third attempt, I knew I was capable of getting it. Um, so the coaches waited for the Canadian to do her last lift and then that decided what I would have on the bar. Um, and to be honest, I actually don't remember... Like, I didn't know what was on the bar for my third attempt. I just knew I had to go and do it. So Andy said to me, look, this is the lift you need. Like, you're going to have to just give everything everything to nail it. So, and I, looking back, I felt like a bit of a robot. I know it's a really awesome. weird thing to say. I just felt quite robotic and, like, yeah, almost looking at myself from the outside. It was a bit bizarre. Um but yeah, so I, I got up to the platform and went and chalked my hands, like usual routine, not changing anything. I remember feeling a bit like giddy when I was chalking my hands. 
but I was like, right, just sort your life out and go and do what you have to do and just compose myself and, and just, yeah, just knew I had to get the lift. And for me, if I get the clean, I know I've got a good chance of getting the jerk. Like, I yeah. like the jerk. Jerk's one of my favourite parts of the lift. So, That's handy for um, my lifter. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoying the jerk. Well, this is it. If you've if I've got if you've got the legs to get up with the clean, then the next bit's easy, right? Yeah, well, I haven't seen Apparently. this jerk yet, so. <laughs> yeah, so I just yeah. uh, tried to just control myself and not, you know, try not to get ahead of yourself and think, right, I've got this kind of thing. Just took a few seconds between the clean and then went for the jerk, and then as soon as you know you've got it, and you wait for the buzzer, the down signal, and yeah, it was all just like a flood of emotions um but also a bit of a shock at the same time I don't know you just don't ever prepare yourself for moments like that when you when you've been waiting uh, for so many years to to reach a goal and and be successful and to get the gold medal was just it was just amazing I can't even describe I didn't even know what to do I was like I should probably celebrate and <laughs> get my arms up and thank you yeah. but I it was all it was all re- really surreal, um, but yeah, it was a moment that's going to stick with me for a very very long time. Have you have you come down yet? Is it all real yet? Um, don't know. It just it's still it's still a bit crazy. Like I don't know. I sometimes look at my medal and think I, I can't believe that's mine, kind of thing. It's yeah, when, I don't know. Yeah. It's just nuts. When do I have to give it back, sort of thing? Yeah, <laughs> hopefully never. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved oh, I loved the how you, you said um you just felt like a bit of a robot. Like that yeah. that's I love that because we within our gym and, and practice we, we try to get all of our athletes, regardless of the sport, to treat themselves like robots. Like don't yeah. be emotional, just just be task focused and think about you know, cry or laugh afterwards, just get the work done. So I love that you yeah. said that. That's that's fucking awesome. So what what like the day after you win gold, what is that day like? That's what I want to know about. Because having won grand finals in rugby, the day after the grand final is not good because you're hungover, you're fucking busted. <laughs> what, yeah. What's it like winning gold? Well, I'm probably going to sound like the most boring champion ever, but <laughs> I think I crashed a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. I fully crashed out. I think because I'd had – I remember being nervous for – about three to four days before the actual competition, like my heart rate was not going down. I was like, I could feel my heart. I could, I could just getting nervous and getting ready for the day that you prepare for for four years. Like, it, yeah, I was, I was very, very nervous leading into it. Um, and then I was also in anti-doping for about four hours, and we had a building evacuation and all sorts after the uh, <laughs> competition itself, just to add to the excitement. So, yeah. was it the Indians? <laughs> yeah no um so I didn't get to bed until about 2 a.m and then when I was in bed I was like I can't sleep um yeah adrenaline was uh was was winning at life at that point um yeah the next day was a bit nuts I think I was just uh well I had to go and do some media stuff for team England and um uh, I had I wanted to go and see my parents and things like that because they'd travelled all that way and I hadn't seen them in so long as well. Um, and then when I actually got a little bit of time to myself, um, I just I literally had no energy. I was like, I can't do anything. 
I'm so tired of this sleep. I was just the most. I was like, is this how, is this how it's supposed to be? I'm supposed to be out on the lash and yeah. being in yeah. a, uh, being permanently drunk, but I was just so knackered. Um, <laughs> but then I think I can't remember if I did go out for a few drinks, but I just remember being, uh, yeah, enthusiasm was almost lacking a little bit. Um, and I also had loads and loads of messages from home and things like that. So I just spent the time kind of responding to those. Um, and just trying to let it all sink in and yeah no it was a crazy crazy 24 hours in terms of emotion how did uh how did Andy take it because uh it was a pretty good games for him all around wasn't it yeah it really was no he was he was so excited and and so happy I think where he's um won a commonwealth gold himself before um and he's experienced all those emotions himself he I think he can just, he fully empathizes with all of us and, you know, he's there lifting it with us almost. And if you watch some of the videos of him while we're all lifting, he's, you can see him like finishing the pool and doing the jump <laughs> with us. He's just, he lives and breathes weightlifting. So um, he was really happy for us and, and lots of the other Europa team members um, also got medals. So it was a great games for him. I think he went home a very happy man. <laughs> yeah. And, and Andy's, Obviously, a part of the national team, national team coach, but obviously your personal coach. What sort of um, what sort of impact do you think that has on you, having your personal coach there as well as your well your national team coaches? I think uh, it obviously helps. There's no denying that having your personal coach at such a big competition definitely makes a difference. They know you. They know how you work. You have that relationship with them where you can just say exactly what you think. And things like having banter, you can banter with them and it kind of relaxes you a little bit, takes the edge off the nerves. Um, yeah, no, it definitely, definitely makes such a difference. I'm, I'm very grateful that he was there and we had that luxury, really. Um, but that being said, I also, because I know I can train and prepare on my own without him there, I like to think that even if he wasn't at those games that I would have, achieve the same result to be honest um if you've got that self-confidence and and the belief in in your own uh preparation and the work that you've done i think you know you should you could be you should be able to do that without your coach it's just kind of a bonus having having your personal coach there as well yeah, I know it does have a lot to say about that big believer, a big, a big believer in uh, earning your results and you yeah. know the way you train. Like Daz, if you want to speak more to it, I know uh, I can see you like biting your lip. And I am, your tongue's I, yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. You should, like an athlete should be able to perform at any given moment, regardless of who the coach is. My my only concern in weightlifting is that the the athlete doesn't nominate the weight. That is a major concern for me because I I have. I know of someone who wasn't given the weights they wanted, and it, and it right. like it fucked their competition. So yeah, that I'm, I'm yeah. still like coming not not being a, a pure blood weightlifter. I'm still dealing with the whole fucking. I'm, I'm going to put my life on hold for four years to train for an event, but this guy who doesn't know me is going to tell me what to do. Like I, I'm, I'm still yeah. struggling with that. But but I totally agree. No. On, on an athletic on an athletic point, all things given equal, you should be able to lift. And get like I'm sure you would get your result regardless of who's there. That's that's not that's not a question. Yeah, no, I, I actually really agree with what you're saying. Um, I mean, for me, because I've I've done maybe eight years worth of international competitions now, 
I know all the coaches pretty well um, and I've been coached by them at major events. So aside from Andy, the other um, England GB coaches, I know I know how they work and I know um, <clears throat> that they would have would discuss with my personal coach what the plan would be. So I think I wouldn't be unhappy with their their choices, but if I I don't know, it's 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 difficult, isn't it? If I um if I particularly wanted a number and they said no, I can see how I I would be potentially very upset with that. So it's difficult. Mm. It's difficult. Um yeah, no, I, I, I guess that's why having a personal coach is on the team is a is a massive bonus, to be honest. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from with that one. Yeah, it's a um, it's it's sort of an interesting thing. I guess you're probably more experienced than most and able to talk more on it. But is there a sort of different vibe about the Commonwealth Games? Obviously, atmosphere and the the occasion only coming around once every four years, but. Uh, sort of Olympic qualifying season and everything where you need to get certain results at certain competitions and all that sort of stuff. Is there a, in your mind and the discussion you have with coaches, is there a different way you're selecting weights? Because I know, you know, for us in Australia, we're, we're very lucky to qualify even one spot for males and females. And last time around, we had, we still had a competition where we needed to qualify a spot, but we also needed the top male or female to go to the Olympics. So we're fighting for a position that we didn't exactly have yet. Yeah. So um, what's, it, what's it like, well, in the British system anyway, and um, your thoughts on the difference between or difference between weight selection and the, the general vibe of world championships versus Commonwealth Games or a European championship or a national championship sort of thing? Um, so the, the qualifying for the last Olympics was – Obviously, the team the qualification, similar to Australia, yeah. um, we had to rely on Europeans to get our one spot, one male spot, one female spot, because we didn't accrue enough points, basically, at the previous World Championships, um, which, yeah, so it, it was all dependent upon how we how we did at the Europeans and, and where we placed. So, basically, I think British weightlifting just put a load of money into sending the biggest team possible and got the coaches to try and place us as high as possible. So weights were picked on getting us as high up the list as possible. So even if someone was down in ninth, but they could do an extra kilo to bump them up to eighth, it was a case of just getting getting those points and, and trying to get someone to the Olympics. Um, yeah. In terms of individuals, though, there felt like there was a lot of pressure because it was one of the last opportunities for us to be selected. Um, so it's a funny thing because it's almost there's almost more pressure than when you're out on a Commonwealth stage. I think because the Commonwealth stage, you're there, you're in the moment and you've already got your place and it's just about where you finish. Whereas the last internationals before such a mate, major event like the olympics it's all riding on that and if you have a rubbish day it's not going to help you um, it's not going to work in your favor so yeah i think everyone certainly feels the pressure a little bit more and people are making decisions about body weights and 
I that was my last the Europeans in 2016 was my last competition at 63 kilos and I definitely should have moved up before that but you know you you put everything you can into getting picked don't you so yeah it just didn't work that time for me um so we had the and then we had the British championships maybe three or four months after that which was our last last hurrah if you like and uh you know everyone just went for it everyone put everything on the line and I know a few people bombed out because they just stuck it on the bar and but sometimes you've got to do that right you've just got to go for it because you don't want to regret not giving giving it a good go and I I finished second to Rebecca Tyler who ended up being selected for the team so I knew I'd been beaten fair and square and I'd probably not be sitting on the plane to Rio and I wasn't so you know it is that's sport you win you lose and that's that's that um but yeah, in terms of atmosphere, our so our British Championships are really, really good for atmosphere. Um, everyone usually has a pretty good day at the Nationals. They've kind of, British weightlifting have put, made a big effort to make it more theatrical and a bit more of a show. So we have dark lights, we have lots of, um, you know, staging, music, you know, it's, it's a great... Is there any beer? It's a great, there is beer, actually. Yeah, good. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's all I need to hear. Going to fly to England this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. And um, I guess the Commonwealth Games is, is a similar similar atmosphere, but on a much bigger scale. Um, you know, like I said before, sitting in a um, – competing at a world championships where you've got a couple of people in the audience is just a bit rubbish, if I'm honest. But we're not on the we're not at the level, or we haven't been on the, on the level where we can compete in A groups at World Championships until last year. So last year, 2017 World Championships. I know a lot of my teammates are actually in the A group or even the B group. Um, but the, the opportunity was there for that particular World Championships for people to do well, yeah. and they experienced that, and they experienced having a good audience and. Um, experience that atmosphere and I know there were some great performances from um, my teammates so it does it really does make a difference to the athlete um, so the the opportunities where we know we're going to have a crowd and we know there's going to be um, you know a good vibe within the competition setting is it you know you're going to you know you're going to have a better performance just because it helps with the nerves and the adrenaline and you just you just feel better having that support out there as well um, so yeah, I'm hoping that the World Championships will continue to be like last year, and and the feedback that I got from people that attended that comp. So here's hoping. Yeah. yeah. So you, you mentioned that you've you you know having the crowd there, you feel support and all that sort of stuff. How does it feel being an athlete when your country pulls your funding? How does does that affect your level of of feeling supported? Like what what's the um, mindset there? Um, to be honest, we're quite used to how brutal UK sport are. They're very black and white, uh, very objective. You don't get a top five finish or whatever it was at the time. I think it was top eight, actually. If you don't get your top eight finish, we're pulling the plug on your money and that's it. And it's also, it was it was very much like that when we were funded anyway, in that we had set totals, we had to lift, we had to have we basically had to have an upwards uh, trajectory of our performances. And if you started to plateau or go downhill slightly, 
then there was a high risk that you would lose your funding. And that was yeah. just the way it was. It was quite cutthroat. Um, and we we got used to that. Yeah. So we knew potentially that funding was going to get dropped anyway. I mean, the men had already lost their funding. So right. it was the females that were funded uh, during during that build up towards Rio. So the men didn't have any funding. Um, so, you know, we'd already witnessed how they felt and things like that. But I think I think you guys will agree weightlifting's not a sport for money. You know, we don't do it to make money. We're never gonna be millionaires. Um, let's face it. So it's you know, just having having funding is always just a, a help. It allowed some of us to work part time and we had the funding to help us in those other hours with our training and, and support around around training. So, um, you know, medical and physio and recovery type stuff, nutrition, things like that. Um, so I think anyone that solely relies on, on that funding, you know, is in the wrong sport because you can't – you need to do the sport because you have that love for it and you're motivated to do well on your own and, and – that's just the way I've seen weightlifting, and I know my teammates would agree with me as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you as well. Like, yeah, the, in this country, um, it's always the fallback argument: "Oh, we don't get enough money." But yeah, you know, the wallet doesn't walk out on the platform and clean and jerk. It's the athlete that does it. So yeah, it's it's it should be um, with with the GB system. Was funding ever allocated or diverted to target uh, to talent identification? So if, if the senior lifters were plateauing, was there a second tier of, okay, instead of let's cut in the funding for all the gender, was there ever an opportunity to cut funding to particular individuals and then divert it to, to up-and-comers? No, not really. It was just uh, it was like high-performance funding, really, for the, for the elite-level athletes. Yeah. So if they weren't meeting requirements, it would, we'd just get the chop. Yeah. Um, but there are, you know, there are other funding streams available. So there's Sport England, um, which is obviously just for England rather than the other home nations within Great Britain. And they, they're putting in a lot of money at the moment for grassroots youth level, um, that kind of talent talent level. Um, yeah. So they, they're helping kind of bring up the next generation. Um, and I guess in terms of, what you mentioned about um, people say, oh, we don't get enough funding and things like that. I think funding is most important to send people to competition and get that experience, yeah. in, my, in my opinion. So if, if, if the government could provide just a little more, more money to send more people to those competitions so they can feel what it's like, because you just all it takes as an athlete, you just taste taste one of those major events and you get the feel for it and you know that you want to be back and you know you want to do well and, and perform and and potentially get medals and things like that so without that you know athletes lack that that experience and they don't know you know they don't know what di- direction they want to head in so I think that's in terms of funding the most important thing that people can actually experience international events it's a, it's sort of an interesting one there, when you when you talk a little bit about the uh, sort of the British Championships being, um, make, well, making a big deal of them, setting them up. Can we replicate those co- sort of competitions? Can we repl- uh, replicate like a World Championship atmosphere within your sort of own nation? 
Um, I don't see why not. Yeah. Is that a? Do you think that's a sort of viable option for sort of funding bodies that well aren't offering anything, or national federations that are sort of we're going, we can't afford to send people here, but we could probably put money into our national championships and change the atmosphere of those competitions and or what they mean to people. Yeah, I think so. It's all a bit of a it's all a bit of a business as well, isn't it, for the for the governing bodies. They need to kind of feel like they're making a bit of money themselves at these events. So um I think they have definitely invested a lot more money into our national championships and when you're there it does feel it does feel bigger than that. Um I mean and you've got all your supporters because it's in your own country, you've got everyone there kind of cheering you on and um, wanting you to do well. So, I mean, it would be great if if uh, Great Britain could almost host a World Championships. But again, mm. you'd need that support from from the government and the those that have the money. Um, so, I don't know. Should suggest it, shouldn't I? Yeah, you know, they're going to they're going to listen to a gold medalist, I hope. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're talking about systems and growth and all that sort of stuff. You've uh, recently taken up a position at the Victorian Weightlifting Association in a development role. Do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about what that uh, sort of role uh, entails and where you're, where you're trying to go with it? Yeah, so the um, new role is the Growth and Development Officer for. Victorian Weightlifting Association and um, I guess exactly as it sounds I, th- I think I see my main duty as trying to increase participation in the sport ultimately um, that's that's what I'd like to do um, for me it's an opportunity to give back to the sport you know 10 years of my life has been dedicated to it and I've learned and achieved quite a lot during that time so I would like to to you know give back and and pass on some of my knowledge and experience to others um but not just you know athletes that are up and coming just getting people to give it a go and have a try of the sport because still people when you say oh I do weightlifting lots of people are surprised and they're like oh didn't know didn't know you do weightlifting and I've never never given it a go yeah (laughs) yeah Exactly, things like that. There's still these stereotypes as well, you know. Um, oh, don't don't do weights. Make me make me bulky. Make me look like a man. But um, <laughs> no, back to back to the role. It's just a, a case of I I see myself just trying to reach out to to younger people and schools and you know get kids involved because myself and I know a few others wish that we'd given weightlifting a go when we were a bit younger. Um, so with this role, I just want to set up a program whereby I can go into schools around Victoria and just get kids to have a go. So, you know, swap out one of their PE lessons for, a, a just a taster session of weightlifting, broomsticks, technique bars, you know, just show them what snatch and clean and jerk looks like squats, things like that. And, and just basically give them the opportunity to have a go. Um, and, you know, for every hundred school kids that, try it you might get one or two that want to pursue it further and you do that quite a few times you're looking at 10 to 20 potential new weightlifters as well so um not just schools you know you've got other other areas as well crossfit is obviously 
huge opportunity for us to get more people over into weightlifting. Um, I mean, I work at a CrossFit gym as well, and I know lots and lots of the members actually prefer the weightlifting side of things. So I think... Cardio dodges. Look- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just bardio. Yeah, so, you know, if we can try and get a few more people across from from CrossFit to weightlifting, then that will be great as well. And it's definitely, you know, there's no denying that CrossFit has definitely helped weightlifting across the world. Yeah. Um, you know, we might not agree with some of the workouts or programs, but it's a massive help for us as a sport. Yeah, um, 100%, 100% and, it's exposure. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and there are hundreds of great CrossFitters that are also great weightlifters, and you only have to look at Tia Claire Toomey to kind of recognise that. What about, um, are you working with clubs in Victoria, working with um, seniors at all? Is that part of the role? Or is it mainly uh, just targeting young youth through high schools? I think the priority has to be the youth and the schools for the moment. Um, but I do I do see us kind of trying to uh, work with the senior athletes as well because I do think the senior athletes will have a big effect on the kids. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to kind of create some regional squads um, and kind of get that team atmosphere going. Because I know for myself, yes, it is an individual sport, but when you're training and um, attending events and squads with people like like-minded athletes and people that you you might be rivals with, but you might also get on with and just creating that atmosphere where you can train together and everyone's kind of got a similar goal. So I know it might be a bit of a way off at the moment because obviously you need to plan things, but it would be cool to set up maybe, you know, Northern Victoria weightlifting squad, squad, things like that, and just um, get people together and, and create that, that, that atmosphere, basically. I, I reckon it's awesome because a mate of mine, John Wellborn, a power athlete, he's like a... 10-year veteran in the NFL, big, big lineman, big, big piece of cattle. And uh, he was saying the problem with that he sees with all of sport is that the best coaches are at the top end where the athletes don't need coaching and all the kids get amateur coaches and they really are the ones that need to learn the skills and be drilled properly and correctly and all that sort of stuff. So Victoria yeah. is uh, in a pretty healthy position having a gold medalist being able to coach uh, juniors. Like that's... I hope, um, like, what's the reception of what you're trying to implement down in Victoria? Like, are people, like, running to sign up? Or? Well, we're still, obviously, I've had about four weeks um, away, which didn't really help with it, any uh <laughs> You mean you weren't planning. working while you're in the village? That's, that's atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> that's selfish. Yeah. Well, I, start, I think I started in February time, so it's kind of, it's all all a bit in the planning process at the moment. Um but I'm hoping once we kind of get the adverts out there a little bit and, um, you know, do some marketing type stuff that people will be interested. Um, I mean, I, I've also I've run a couple of women's weightlifting squads since I've been in Melbourne anyway, but that's not been linked to the BWA because I did those before I actually started that role. Um, but I did that through my CrossFit gym and, um, you know, we had two packed out squads for that and that was – just women's only so I'm not saying we're going to go down that route but that was just something I decided to to do when I got here and um those were really successful and I know um some of those people would be keen to 
attend more workshops or seminars, things like that. So I think as long as we, you know, provide opportunity for people to have a go, like I said before, not just kids, other other um, other people as well, seniors, masters, everyone. Um, I think it can only help uh, increase increase participation and like like you said before, Simon, just getting that exposure out there. Yeah. And um, what 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 are the sort of major roadblocks you're running into at the moment? Like, um, I don't think there's been a person sort of in your role or any role that hasn't you know come across some sort of hardship in uh, trying to implement this stuff. What's the, what's the biggest one you see at the moment? Um, difficult question. That's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> right on the spot. Um, I think for me personally, it's just kind of getting used to the Australian ways, if, if, if I'm honest, just because I've come from Should a different right. country. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Should be right. <laughs> <laughs> just getting used to the, uh, the the setup and the schools like for instance just even things like school holidays are exactly a uh, complete opposite to those in the UK so and just getting used to the setup and and I guess just um getting those relationships with key key people um but you know it's all a work in progress so I think it'll be absolutely fine I've just got to get my head down and, and get used to to the way the way everything works here. Yeah, and sort of sort of the to that question, what can well obviously Daz can't do shit in New South Wales for us, but <laughs> what, what can what can people in our Victoria do to sort of aid this process? Like, what can the Hawthorne Club do? What can Phoenix do? What can what can we do to help uh, facilitate growth in Victoria? What would you like from clubs? Um, just to maybe. Uh, host certain events be willing to kind of put put on an event of some kind um so you know these workshop seminars and get stuck in in that in that way um but also to communicate with the vwa you know tell us tell us how you're feeling and, and what you need from us to support your club and to get more athletes in um i mean yeah, we not might not be able to do everything and and say yes to everything, but the communication is key. You know, oh. there's a lot of politics um, in sport in general. Mm. Um, so the more people can talk openly, um, yeah, and create that transparency, the the better it is for everyone. So, and I'm where I'm, like I said, fairly fairly new to the role and new to Australia. The, the more I, I can get in terms of information and support from from those that are coaching firsthand at these clubs, the better it is for me, and, and hopefully the better I can do my job. So, what, what's the what's the differences or similarities between a governing body in GB and the and at the club level in GB? What's the communication like? The politics like inter club politics communication? Is there is there any what are the similarities and differences between? England and Australia within weightlifting? Um, I guess for um, in England we have regions. So it's a bit more, it's a bit difficult because obviously Great Britain is much smaller than Australia for starter, for starters and uh, more densely populated. So we've got clubs that are 
much nearer to each other. Um, so lots of the coaches know each other um, and already have that kind of communication. Um, but we also have regions. So we have London and South East, Northern, things like this. So people, if people want to communicate with the governing body, they'd go through their, their regional um, regional manager or regional person allocated. Um, but then again, a lot of clubs also do have a, a relationship with the, those at the top and the board and, and the CEO and things like that. So, um, I mean, you're always going to get people discussing what this club is doing and what club what that club's doing and that's just the nature of what we do but um I I think as long as you've got a good structure in place um and you know you know how to go about certain things and asking certain questions and there's processes in place then um you know I think that you've got a good chance of of being successful um and in my opinion I think that we could do a little bit better here in in Australia or in Victoria and I think having that structure is is vital to doing well and achieving achieving our goals as an organization um I think structure is key really do you and, and what are the, the sorry Simon what do you think no. um in Australia are, are we attracting the same sort of people into the sport or is it are we, is in England is there a different breed of person that that gets attracted to weightlifting I'd, I'd say it's fairly similar, to be honest. Um, there are we've got um, school kids uh, involved in weightlifting in, in the UK, and, and we have programs there um, to get people involved, and it's it is fairly similar. But I think the fact that we have that that number, greater number of people, um, kind of located around clubs, it's definitely helps us. People. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and obviously, CrossFit has helped that as well, and CrossFit Kids and things like that. It's just, it's it's going a bit crazy in the UK. Like, it's definitely a big, um, big area where we're getting a high number of people transferring to weightlifting and just trying it out. Um, but in terms of yeah, in terms of the types of people, I'd say it's fairly similar over here than it is back there. Yeah. So obviously, obviously the role's got its own sort of key performance indicators of you know where they want the role to go. What are some sort of personal ones for you? Like what what would you like to say end of the year? I can tick this box and go. Yep, yeah, we're on the right track. Number one would have to be that a school program is set up. Um, yep. So I'd like to just go around to as many schools as I can, and um, like I said before, get them to have a go at weightlifting, um, and then off the back of that hopefully some of those schools will want to get involved with an actual program mm. um so by the end of the year i'd like to have said you know we've got this school this school and this school all signed up for a program and we're starting this at the you know start of the academic year um so that would be the number one thing for me um i'd also like i said like to set up some squads um and that would be the second thing just to support those that are at the higher end of their weightlifting careers um, and get that in place and, and just create this this big Victorian team feel. Um, I guess they're the first, the first two major factors for me. Um, but for me personally, it's important that I 
try and tackle one thing at a time because as soon as I try and do five things at once it probably go pear-shaped so it's really important just to nail one thing before moving on to the next and basically try and walk before we can run eh? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got a, a devil's advocate question so I'm a big, okay. big believer in in your plan of setting up a region to like regional squads and all that sort of stuff so I'm in but how do you convince people in clubland when they say well, fuck, fuck M's idea. You don't. She's not going to offer you anything that I can't offer you. Why? Why do it? Like, how? How do you convince those those negative people? Well, you'd invite them along as well, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, that's it's it. like <laughs> that's it. It wouldn't just it wouldn't just be for the athletes. It's yeah. it's coaches yeah. as well, and it's an opportunity for coaches to get together and share ideas and share their knowledge. Yeah. Um, I mean. As an athlete, I've had I've been to squads where someone else's personal coach is there, and it's the second pair of eyes. So it's only yeah. going to be beneficial to everyone, yeah. and they might give you a coaching cue like, I don't know, I'm not going to say the generic stay over or something. Like that. <laughs> um, you or know, stay over. Say, I'll write that <laughs> Finish your call. Finish your call. Yeah, they might say something that really sticks in your brain and and can really help you with your own training. So. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be a case of I'm inviting your athletes to this squad, but you're not you're not allowed yeah. to come. It would be a case of everyone gets together um, and, like I said, shares ideas. And I think I think that needs to be done more because I think the communication element of it all is is just so vital to improving and and progressing in this sport. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Like Simon's discussed it. We've discussed it about setting up roundtables and have athletes in one room and the athletes can share experiences just between athletes without fear of being judged from their yep. personal coach or another someone else's coach. And then while yep. that's going on in one room, in the other room, we've got the coaches doing exactly the same thing. Because there's, yep. I think because we are so spread out in Australia, it's like everyone thinks they've got this secret source program. And if they tell yeah. anyone, then someone else is going to be better than them and their club's going to lose and all that sort of bullshit. So there's, yeah. there's a little bit of fear of, of being fit, like the bullshit artists are fearful of being found out. And the good guy, the really good coaches are fearful of someone learning from them and being just as good. Yeah. No, it's a, it is a bit more difficult over here in terms of, you know, space. Yeah. I think hopefully people will be willing to travel. Um, we just put and free, that, just free be, beer on. Yeah, Free beer. Yeah. Oh, that'll have to get approved, won't it? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. No, yeah, it would be great. Um, and hopefully if you just change the location of these squads on a regular basis, you know, everyone gets their turn at their own club and, you know, you get that that circle of people travelling about and then it's just fair for everyone really. All right, so on to some, some pressing issues for you, M. Godley, the athlete. Are you having a crack at Tokyo? Oh, For the green that goal. Is, that yeah. is the, <laughs> the golden question, isn't it? Um, I haven't decided what I'm doing yet, if I'm yeah. totally honest. Um, I'm getting married next month, so that's the priority. Um, yeah. And going to reassess after that, to be honest. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I've obviously achieved a huge goal recently, yeah. which 
it's kind of a relief in a way because it's made it, all the hard work seem a little bit more worth it. But at the same time, I've also been reserved at two Olympic Games. Um, so it's, you know, that is also another goal that has been um, on my agenda or on my radar for many years. So I'm not sure. That's a boring answer, I know, but it's to be decided. What, what does that feel like when, you, when you're the reserve for the Olympics? Like, do you, did you travel with the team? No, okay. no. Well, the first one was um, a home game, so there was no travelling anyway. Um, and then Rio, I didn't travel. There's just not – they don't fund that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit rubbish at the time, but it is what it is. And like I said before, it's sport, so yeah. you just get on with yeah. it. Yeah. All right. So how about this one? All right, I'm just going to plant the seed now. Just going to – a little bit of, like, food for thought, all right? Yeah. Birm- Birmingham, right? Birmingham, 2022. Right. Yeah. So you've, you've won gold representing England in Australia. What if you win gold in England representing Australia? You have to. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how rule number one, how not to make friends, isn't it? <laughs> or how to win two gold medals across two nations. <laughs> true. Yeah. It is true. It's, name, uh... name, name the other people that have done it. <laughs> I don't actually know. Is there anyone uh, else? I think there'd be very few Commonwealth nations. There'd be a few that have done the old, uh, like, world championship. Well, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that would, be a, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? <laughs> so, Something so, to think about. Yeah, so what are your plans? Like, are you, are you setting up shop here for good, start a family here in Australia, or do you think you'll go back at some point? Um, still not sure, to be honest. I'm just kind of... Joe and I are just going with the flow and seeing how it, how how things go. Um, I mean, we've got a four-year visa at the moment, so we've got four years to work out what we want to do. Um, That's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We're, we're just enjoying being out here and, um, yeah, just enjoying it all. And we get to go home to visit family and friends soon. So, um We'll see how we feel when we get back from there, I guess, and make decisions as and when we need to. Excellent. Well, I guess um, all that's left to do is congratulate you once again on your amazing achievement and I uh, hope everything goes well for the wedding. Um, you and Joe are amazing, so it's, <laughs> it's uh, very excited for you. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for you know being with us on Between Sets and, again, congratulations. It's so amazing to uh, to be able to speak to a gold medalist and even more amazing for me to have seen you in your preparation like see you earn that medal thank you so much yeah thanks a lot appreciate it thanks for having me guys Uh, anytime